And the Oscar goes to the King's Speech. And the winner is The Hurt Locker. Captain Nicholas And the Oscar goes to Slumdog Millionaire Christian Colson Producer. The Oscars are not only the most prestigious awards in cinema, they are also the oldest. They were dreamt up in January 1927 during a Hollywood dinner party hosted by the head of MGM Studios, Louis B. Mayer. Mayer and his guests thought it would be a good idea to reward artistic excellence within the industry. And for a fledgling industry that yearned respect, what better way to secure that respect than create its own institution and its own awards? While that's the official story, it's not all that accurate, or indeed all that interesting. The unofficial story is not that simple, but it is more revealing. In short, it had little to do with excellence and a lot more to do with combating racism, federal intervention and labour unrest. But a big business closes the door on the little guy with a new idea. We're not only closing the door on progress, but we're sabotaging everything that we fought for. Everything that the country stands for. Might as well sit down. We got one phone call. Better call Sonny. I'll be calling my union organizer. Captain, yeah, I'm real sorry they picked you to defend that nigger that raped my mail. I don't know why I didn't kill him myself instead of going to the sheriff. I would have saved you and the sheriff and the taxpayers lots of trouble. While some people refer to the decade as the Roaring Twenties, it was F. Scott Fitzgerald who summed it up best. He called it the Jazz Age. But either way, the era saw enormous changes. It was the decade when America moved from a rural setting to an urban dwelling, and women finally won the right to vote. The Model T Ford automobile was sold to workers who earned an average of $25 a week. But such prosperity also saw great industrial unrest. In fact, one of the reasons why the Academy was set up was to arbitrate in disputes between the studios and its employees. Now, while America was urbanizing, it was still very provincial. A red scare gripped the country and the Palmer Raids of 1920 saw over 5,000 people held without trial or deported on suspicion of revolutionary activities. The Ku Klux Klan grew to be the country's third biggest political party. The production, distribution and consumption of alcohol was prohibited and in 1925 John T. Scopes, a Tennessee school teacher, was charged and found guilty of reading to his students the theory of evolution. Can't you understand? That if you take a law like evolution and you make it a crime to teach it in the public schools, tomorrow you can make it a crime to teach it in the private schools, and tomorrow you may make it a crime to read about it, and soon you may ban books and newspapers, and then you may turn Catholic against Protestant, and Protestant against Protestant, and try to foist your own religion upon the mind of man. If you can do one, you can do the other, because fanaticism and ignorance is forever busy and needs feeding. That was Spencer Tracy in Inherit the Wind, a 1960 fictionalisation of the Scopes trial. During the 20s, a number of drugs and sex scandals rocked the industry. In 1923, movie star Wallace Reed died of a morphine overdose. And in 1924, Charlie Chaplin avoided prosecution by crossing into Mexico to marry Lita Gray. Miss Gray was only 16 at the time and pregnant with his child. Moralists protested that Hollywood films were a scourge on the social fabric. 
with over 90 million people going to the movies each week, they were certain that cinema was undermining the American way of life. And by American way of life, they meant decent, God-fearing and Christian. Far from decent, God-fearing and Christian, xenophobia, racism and segregation were practiced openly in the political sphere. Congress passed laws that strictly limited the immigration quotas of Eastern European nations with large Jewish populations. This is crucial because of all the major Hollywood studios, all but one had been founded and were run by Jewish immigrants, all of whom could trace their ancestry back to a 500 mile radius in Eastern Europe. Exacerbating this, a lot of the political elite equated Judaism with Bolshevism, and that only accentuated the fear that communism had taken root in America. If I may continue, Mr. Hurst, we're too generous, we're too open. If we don't watch out, if we don't take steps now to impose some new discipline, some decency, then we're in trouble, deep trouble. I know it's not fashionable to say this, we're celebrating, everyone thinks it's over, but democracy carries a price tag. Here, here. And I just happen to think that one of the most misguided promises we ever made was inscribed on the base of the Statue of Liberty. One that I predict will lead this country into all kinds of trouble. Give us your poor, your huddled masses. Now we have to stop this before it goes too far. Our conception of America does not include, was never meant to include, this kind of scum. That's from the 1993 biopic Chaplin, and the sentiments you heard were those of FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. But it wasn't only Hoover who regarded Hollywood with suspicion. Weekly radio shows and newspaper articles regularly rounded on Hollywood, deeming it responsible for all the nation's ills. What further complicated the situation was the fact that although freedom of speech was enshrined in the US Constitution, in 1915, the Supreme Court had ruled that film was a business and so was not protected by the First Amendment. America's number one form of entertainment was in serious danger of federal regulation and censorship. What Hollywood needed to do was show that it could police itself. And it began doing so by setting up an institution that suggested probity and moral decorum. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences aimed to offer a standard of what they considered to be artistic merit. Such merit suggested legitimacy, credibility and respectability. Predominantly, this meant films with worthy subject matter, prestigious productions adapted from the Bible, classic literature, Nobel Prize winning books, Pulitzer Prize winning plays, Shakespearean dramas, musicals and historical subjects. It did not mean slapstick comedies, action adventures, science fiction, detective stories, westerns, thrillers and horror. I don't think it's a coincidence, but in the 84 years since the first Oscar ceremony, 60 Best Picture winners come from that worthy class. Good as they may be, quite often the winning film is rewarded at the expense of original, innovative and daring filmmaking. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France. Hello? Uh, hello, uh, hello, Dimitri? You talking to me? Fuck you, asshole. Always do the right thing. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. You have me heartbroken, Christy Brown. A boy's best friend is his mother. Well, nobody's perfect. So in its early days, the Academy reflected Hollywood's insecurity and deep yearning for legitimacy. But born in an age of rancid racism and discrimination, it has since tried to live up to its early ideals, and so occasionally it honours art. Let me throw you a couple of statistics. 
Four of this year's Best Picture contenders were made independently of Hollywood Studios. In the acting categories, independents account for 11 of the 20 nominations, while in directing, it was four out of five and writing eight out of 10. But they're just statistics. The Academy's lasting value is the wider value to which the better part of Hollywood aspires, independent thinking, open-mindedness and plurality. They call me Mr. Tibbs. I have a name too. It's Dorothy, capital D-O-R-O-T-H-Y. Dorothy. My name is Harvey Milk and I'm here to recruit you. 